again, and welcome back to another episode of the ADH Dads. I am CJ. I'm JJ. And we finally got the intro right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Only took, what, seven, eight episodes now? I knew we were going to get it. (laughs) Well, we always have plenty of opportunity to mess it up again, so we're going to go around in circles. (laughs) You know, it's funny because uh, I was... you know, listening to editing all of our, our episodes thus far. And we always do that thing where I go, I'm CJ. And then I wait for you to do it. And then you're not sure if I'm going to do it. And you wait. And then my ADHD spirals, brother, that three second pot <laughs> seems like an eternity to me. I have to fill it. And then right when I go to fill it is right when you're answering. So I'm glad we nailed it this time, man. We're making well, progress on this thing. You know, what's funny about that is uh, for a second there, when you were telling me all that stuff just now, um, there was a complete freeze in your video. So I don't blame it on our timing. I blame it on the tech more than anything. But of course, that gets our brains going. Because when I was walking through the streets of Berlin over 10 years ago on a cheap Nokia phone that I bought for like, you know, 20 euro, maybe not even that, um, to call over into the States, the delay was non-existent. But here we are where we got video going. And the next thing you know, we got like five, 10 seconds delay. And, you know... I, I've been on a, probably a few thousand calls since, uh, you know, COVID where there's that wonderful, uh, okay. Oh, uh, so, so are you, can, Oh no, go ahead. You know, it is, it is funny that this has taken so long to catch up. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a funny key and peel uh, sketch. You ever watch that show? Oh my God. Yeah. I love Key and Peele. Uh, there's one sketch where they do that. They're doing a zoom call and they keep freezing. So they go to, and then, it comes back right as they're trying to talk over each other. And that's the whole, they never get to say anything. They just keep freezing and trying to talk over each other. And <laughs> I always feel like that. So, <laughs> well with, you know, I, I think it just was it for me, it was preparing me for fatherhood with a kiddo who has ADHD because I can start talking and he'll just, whether his mind's interested or not, he'll just interrupt me about two seconds in. So I've been preparing for a while to be the <laughs> ultimate parent by going to Zoom meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a uh, topic that we wanted to discuss today, but we threw it out the door and went with our ADHD brains instead. And we're just going to talk about ADHD today, guys, because uh, I've been having an interesting uh, process with it. You know, I think I started this uh, show, the first episode off by saying that I was going through the evaluation stage myself, um, along with our, our daughter and uh you know cohen has been uh doing that process as well so i thought it would be just fun to kind of update the listeners here and and see what that process looks like uh i'm sure that there may be some listeners that uh haven't started that process yet maybe feel a little bit intimidated doesn't know what it looks like so i thought today was just kind of be a great opportunity to bring the audience alongside of us and kind of talk about our experiences with it yeah, man, uh, it's definitely something that's appreciated, and and the conversation can never be enough. Sometimes uh, I've I've been a, a kind of a casual observer, more or less, of a, a Facebook group um, for parents with kiddos who have ADHD. I've been that I've been a member of that for quite some time now. Probably pretty soon after you know my kiddo got the official diagnosis, and I will see day in and day out if I decide to, to check on that group where parents say they're lost. Parents say, I just don't know what to do. Parents saying like, well, we upped our medication or the medication's not working. This one might work, you know, and there's just, you know, even though the conversation and the, and the, uh, the research continues, um, it doesn't, 
it doesn't stop us from, you know, getting those feelings of what do I do? What's going on? I feel lost. I feel hopeless. And uh, the hope for me in all this is that anybody who listens to this has an opportunity to continue the conversation in their own lives, because I think that's I think that's where most of us end up feeling lost is because we can hear other people's stories or we can watch a video on YouTube about ADHD or we can even talk to a professional um, about our, our situation. But then we still have to go home and we still have to go through the daily process of cooking a meal, um, whether it's with somebody who has ADHD or just by ourselves and then, you know, serving our families. And uh, what does that look like? Well, if I'm in the kitchen <laughs> with my kiddo who has ADHD, that meal will be probably about 10 times messier and 10 times longer to prep. But, you know, sometimes it's a it's a it's an exercise in joy and sometimes it's an exercise in frustration. So I guess what I'm trying to say is every situation is unique, even though we have a lot of great research and, and tools to help us. Well, you know, just hearing you talk here, it kind of brings to mind that, you know, our medical system is so um, objective, right? Like, is that, am I using the right word objective or subjective? Wrong? I always do. <laughs> I always use them wrong. It's subjective, <laughs> you know, in the sense that like everybody's got a different opinion about what's going on with your kid or what their behavior is showing and what it looks like, you know, and, and how it should be diagnosed. And yes, it, there's not just a generalization to that, you know, um, nobody knows better than, than us parents being around those kids. But often the times the people that are diagnosing our kids are a teacher or a counselor or maybe someone that's only with the kids for an hour of the week, you know, not 24 hours of the day. So I think it's really important for us as parents to really be vigilant about this process and gathering as much information as we can to be able to kind of um, strategize what the best method is for our kids, you know, because you yeah. get told a lot of, of different information from a lot of different sources. And a lot of times it, it can feel like that conflicts, right? Which can be confusing and overwhelming. So, you know, um, what we're going to talk about today here is definitely not a fix all for all it's opinions, it's experiences. And, you know, it's just, uh, what we've been, um, experiencing and, and feeling as we go along this process. So I don't want to, uh, pretend to be a, a medical diagnoser or doctor, <laughs> in any sort of way here. But, you know, I hope through sharing some of my experiences along this process, um, you know, it, it may help somebody else. Yeah. And let me, uh, let me quickly tell you a story then about, uh, as, as I believe we get into this discussion on a deeper level, uh, my, my younger brother has autism and he's on the severe end of the spectrum. So his, his communication is, is pretty much, you know, non-existent. He'll, he'll, he'll maybe communicate via an iPad and, 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 uh, more or less to get him through the day to do his survival. Um, and, uh, when, uh, when he was young and of course I was young at the time too, uh, there were certain behaviors that would just look like impulse, um, you know, issues and stuff. And, and, that was really hard for my parents to understand. It's hard for anybody who's kind of looking from the outside in uh, to understand what's going on here. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is because when when uh, people who are looking in decide to make a judgment call on the situation, they're losing out on the opportunity to understand and empathize. And my uh, my grandmother and her uh, 
her husband, um, my step grandfather, uh, they had come to uh, visit and they were watching us kids and my brother and I, we were in the kitchen with them and, and my brother did something that, you know, the, the, the average normal kid would, you know, if they would do that, that would be considered out of line and obstinate or whatever, you know, you might want to call it. And so my step grandpa spanked him and I said, what are you doing? Why my, my, my son or my son, my brother uh, started crying and they said, well, he needs to learn. And I said, well, he doesn't understand uh, that he's doing right or wrong in the way that you think he's doing right or wrong. And then they said, well, he's going to learn then. And they just didn't get it. And the reason why they didn't get it is because they chose not to try and understand it. So they made a judgment call and they figured, well, this, this form of punishment or discipline is what worked for me or worked for our kids. So therefore, it's going to work for this kid. And that's one thing that I wanted to highlight as we go into this discussion today for, from my perspective is that it's so easy to draw a judgment and be incorrect and then move on from that while we people who deal with ADHD um, and, and work through it on a daily basis um, have to continue on and have to try different methods, but we have to also work very hard to understand ourselves and understand the people we love who have ADHD in order to best serve them. So judging somebody else based on one simple casual observation is missing the picture here. And then again, when I go back to talking about uh, everybody's different situation, we still throw our hands up in the air and we still feel lost at times. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not trying and we don't empathize. So anyways, that was my, my brief story. And I know it's, it was about a kiddo who has autism, but there's definitely something there that when we, we spend some time in empathy and, and trying to understand somebody else's situation, that's when we really can grow from that. So, You know, I've, you've mentioned your, your brother on the uh, podcast before, and it's not a conversation that you and I have had uh, off air or, or personally, you know, or I've never known too much about that story. I'm, I'm just kind of curious, what does life for your, your brother look like now? Is he, how, is he older or younger brother? And, and is he living independently or, or what, what does that look like in adult life? I'm just kind of curious if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. So he's in his mid thirties uh, or upper thirties now. And, uh, he actually lives in a house that's about three blocks away from my parents' house, which is my, my, uh, my home growing up. So, uh, he's basically lived in the same location his entire life and he, he probably always will. And, uh, the reason for that is because he does require, um, a certain level of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, care on an ongoing basis, almost all day to, to ensure that he's safe and, and, uh, healthy and, and comfortable. Um, so he lives in a group home and that's okay. You know, that that's, that's what's best for him. He needs to have structure and he needs to have consistency. He needs to have routine when something is not part of his routine. He, he will let you know, he will feel uncomfortable. He will fidget. He will, uh, he will do that stemming thing, you know, where a lot, a lot of people will maybe let's say, you know, an average regular person who doesn't have autism might tap their feet a lot. You know, that's a stemming process, something to, yeah, to get you to get your mind, you know, focused or to get you into a certain headspace, at least. And um, so he needs that structure. And he also will, you know, do something um, impulsive at times that could potentially be something uh, maybe dangerous to him that he's not really aware of. That could just simply mean like wandering off somewhere in town 
and uh, and not having a, a real understanding of what do I do next? You know, he's just operating in, in a survival mode a lot of the times because that's his comfort space. So, you know, if he's going to get up at 6 a.m. today, he probably would prefer getting up at 6 a.m. every day. Um, he wants a door closed all the time. Or, and if it's opened, then he doesn't understand that. It makes him uncomfortable. He'll close it again. So he just very much operates in a uh, an environment that's uh, not too complicated to best serve his his needs. And his autism is, like I said, on the severe end. So he doesn't really do communication in terms of verbal responses and stuff. He'll it's more or less like I know these words in order to get something, and that's okay. You know, that's that's his life. You know, if he needs some food or if he wants some water, he'll you know say water or he'll point to the thing on the iPad, and that's that. Um, and you know, I don't think he'd want it any other way because that's what his world is. That's what he knows. That's where, that's where he finds comfort. So, yeah, I don't want to, I'm not trying to compare ADHD to autism at all here. Um, but it does sound like a lot of the things that you said are some, some symptoms of ADHD, um, just Mm -hmm. with, uh, maybe verbal or physical tics, you know, uh, the impulse control, you know, um, the maybe lack of understanding some human responses or, or, um, you know, uh, social cues, you know, mm-hmm. um, which again, as I'm going through the process of, of testing for ADHD, a lot of those questions came up in the evaluations, you know, uh, with, with verbal tics, physical tics and, you know, impulse control and emotional regulation, you know, those seem to be very typical, uh, conditions with the ADHD and not, again, not to compare autism to ADHD. I think that they're two wildly different conditions, you know, but just some of just the, the, what you're talking about here just reminds me of, of some of those questions that came up during my, my evaluation process. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I think one of the things that's really easy for me because I have experienced many years of life with my brother and now I have, you know, I have a child with ADHD is, uh, when I go to visit my brother, um, in a way that's disrupting his routine and that's very difficult for him. Whereas with my son, my son craves connection and he's just always excited about connection. Connection can be challenging for him sometimes because he does have a tendency to interrupt or, you know, uh, want to take the play in in the direction he wants to take it. And uh, I mean, who doesn't want to do that? But still, it just looks a little bit different for somebody with ADHD because their mind is set on what they want. Um, So there is there is certain level of comfort that uh, that can be maybe somewhat parallel between the two. Um, but yeah, ADHD in terms of, uh, I think in terms of the difference in my experience, again, because, you know, um, my my brother is very much on the severe end of autism, um, is that uh, the social dynamic uh, looks quite different between the two, between my brother and uh, and my son. And uh, what I what I really appreciate about my son is that I do have somebody who's authentic, who's compassionate, and uh, very much wants to live a world of happiness with people in it. And I don't think that my brother necessarily doesn't want people in his life. It just it's not it's not vital to his survival as much. So he doesn't he doesn't want disruption from people like like my son might want uh, a disruption of happy joy and, and connection. 
Mm. Yeah, and that routine piece too. You know, that seems pretty uh, important for 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 ADHD and and as you're saying, autism with your brother. You know, we talked with uh, Sandy Hurd, um, you know, a few episodes ago with about play therapy, and uh, you know, she had kind of had mentioned the structure and necessity of routine being in in the life of an ADHD. Uh, D child, you know, and I definitely see that in my my routine is when the structure starts to fall apart is where I feel overwhelmed, you know, like there's too much information coming at me. And I don't know how to sort it out, you know, but when there's a, you know, a, a routine in place, at least it can be compartmentalized into well, now we're doing this, you know, and after we're supposed to do this, you know, and that, you know, can be disruptive uh, to the ADHD thought process too. you know, again, sometimes we kind of want the chaos and we want to pull from different things and we kind of need the spontaneity of it all but you know i think um when you can hone the routine with uh adhd brain is where you can really really have some success you know uh in getting things done and we're talking about anxiety right anxiety is a big thing right you know when you don't have your routine you don't have your schedule you have essentially unpredictable circumstances and what does somebody with ADHD need to benefit? They, they want to have uh, something of interest to them, but they also want to have predictability with it too. So, uh, so like my son recently, <laughs> recently has very much gotten into Mario Brothers after getting a, a, a Switch for Christmas. And, uh, and he, uh, he's been playing a lot of Mario and he, and he really loves it. And, and it, the benefit to, to a video game for him is like the rules are in place. So he he knows what to expect and he knows what goals to try and achieve and stuff. So so there's some comfort in that where he can sit down. Some people might say, well, he's being lazy. He's not getting out. Sure. There's definitely a point that could be made there. But he's also experiencing something that's providing him safety and security by having predictability. And therefore, his anxiety is reduced when he's in those situations. Yeah, the games <laughs> he's been, he's at times he said, oh, the controller is cheating or the controller didn't work there, you know? <laughs> suggesting that he didn't make the mistake. It was the game or the, you know, the, the hardware that was that was the problem. But still, there's enough of a predictable point to it where he continues to crave wanting to come back to it. And with a, with a, a week of other kids that you're going to school with, you know that there's a lot of, you know, while there's structure there, there's also a bunch of other minds there trying to do their own path. And therefore, the anxiety level will be on a high, which is why I think a lot of people with ADHD sometimes maybe shy away from social situations because the anxiety, the unknown that can creep up in those you know, uh, going in is, is, is a little intimidating. Anyways, I just went on a tangent there. <laughs> no, I'm glad you did. Cause it just kind of sparked a question of curiosity for me. Um, and that's, you know, the social aspect of it. Um, because you know, I, I, I can flip flop between being a very sociable person and needing to be motor mouth to being very recluse in social situations and, and feeling shy. You know, I'm someone that doesn't shut up once you get to know me, but the first impression, I feel a little hesitant. You know, I'm a little shy, a little apprehensive until maybe we're around each other five or times or so. And that was a question during my evaluation process, my, my questioning, my questionnaires that repeated itself a lot. You know, are you an outgoing person or, or are you more of a recluse? And I didn't know how to answer that question, honestly, because it, it depends. And I do seem to kind of flip flop a lot with that. Sometimes I'm very sociable and annoyingly so, you know, and, and, and other times I, I, I just can't seem to pull out of my, my own skin and, and, and extrovert a little bit, you know, so I'm kind of, 
interesting to see how that presented in your life as a kid um, and how it presents for, for, for Cohen. Brother, I think there's the two things that, uh, um, the two words that are coming to my mind. Again, I mentioned anxiety. You know, that's, that's one thing. The anxiety is the fear of the unknown. But then I also mentioned, you know, my kiddo who craves connection. Well, connection is a very strong word. What does connection mean? It means in some way I'm finding some sort of familiar or similarity with this person that I'm interacting with. And um, there was a time when I was growing up where I did not know what to expect from my classmates going to school. And it was terrifying. It was scary, man. I, I, I had some I had some severe bullies when I was young that uh, it's hard to talk about some of that stuff because it's you know, that's how much it affects me today. And that actually molded me into some of my anxieties that I experience today, because I know that some sometimes going into a social situation um, or with a stranger, people going to a party where there's going to be a lot of possibilities for either connection or just, you know, casual conversation. I. I prefer being that person who can really connect, right? And I don't do so great when I'm supposed to be on stage in front of a bunch of people and, uh, you know, in some ways kind of step back from the deep inner workings of myself and give some of the more fun, entertaining parts of me that could fail. Uh, because when I was young, I felt a lot of what essentially feel, um, I would say would be considered failure with with uh, connecting with other kids where they poked fun at the person I am. So giving, giving yourself over to, uh, to somebody else trying to create a connection when you don't know if that's going to be the, uh, the end result, that's, that's very scary. So anxiety and connection, those two things to me stick out when it comes to ADHD. You just provided some clarity for me in my own life, you know, um, <laughs> you know, because as a, I'm thinking back to my childhood, like I said, I was very extrovert, you know, class clown. I got into trouble a lot in class for being disruptive, you know, getting my homework done and and causing causing the quiet classroom to turn into chaos, you know, and that that happened a lot as a kid, you know, and, and even um, some impulse control stuff where uh in first grade, I, I stabbed a girl in the hand with a pencil, you know, that was being annoying, you know, sh uh, stealing crayons or, or whatever it was, you know, and, and of course that's wrong, you know, but again, for an ADHD kid, I, I think that some of those impulse crossing of the thresholds, you know, can be pretty normal, you know, or, or typical, um, in those kind of scenarios. But, you know, I, I had a lot of, a lot of, trouble fitting into the classroom structured dynamic as a kid up until it was maybe about high school where um, I started doing drama in theater and my 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 drama teacher really kind of took me under her wing and put me on stage as a place where it was appropriate to kind of while out you know and and, and get emotional you know in fact it was it was applauded you know I got standing ovations and applause for doing that we're in a classroom that wasn't the right setting you know so that was a very important time of my life for me of kind of honing some of those social dynamics and and boundaries you know because i think i got a, into a um a lot of 
trouble with teachers and, and peers because of my my ADHD tendencies, you know, and, and I think that that once I grew up made me kind of introvert a little bit of like, man, don't do that. So that I think where it comes uh, that some of that shy nature that I'm talking about and and not understanding it as I was taking this test. Why was, uh, you know, a lot of sometimes I'm extrovert, introvert. And I think that that hesitation and that introversion comes from embarrassment of and trauma of some of those classroom situations that we're talking about where I was shamed or got in trouble because I didn't understand the way that my brain was working. And I recently watched a documentary uh, that I talked to you about the disruptors. Um, and I got recommended that through, I think you even suggested it a few weeks ago. And then um, we had a pediatrician appointment talking about ADHD with our oldest and that documentary got recommended again. So I, I gave it a watch and I was really, um, you know, impressed with it and, and how it was presented and, and, and some of the things that they're talking about, about the neural pathways of neurodivergent kids with ADHD and how their prefrontal cortex is maybe not um, the same pathways to their emotional response part of the brain as neurotypical kids or, or normies, as we'll call them here, you know, um, and just that, you know, processing of critical information and the emotional response and the pathways that go back and forth there are not the same in an ADHD kid to a, a normie, nor, neurotypical kid. And I thought that that was um, an interesting thing to think about because, you know, for our ADHD kids, that emotional regulation piece, that impulsivity uh, control is predominant, right? And that's where a lot of our disruptive behaviors are seen in our kids. And that explanation of that, you know, those pathways not being the same from that emotional response to that critical thinking prefrontal cortex part of the brain, I thought was just really interesting. And why explaining of why we see our kids have that emotional regulation bit and why it's so different difficult for them. And definitely noticing that in myself as a kid and, and how critical thinking can become very an emotional uh, ordeal for ADHD kids. And I can see that with, uh, with our oldest in, in homework time, right? That's where it's like, oh, the emotions come out. I don't understand it. Ah! But, you know, in the school setting, she's done. She's one of the first ones done in class. She gets it. You know, she just becomes so overwhelmed in this setting, looking at this, that that critical thinking aspect gets overridden by that emotional response, you know, and what tactics can we implore here to slow it down and compartmentalize and give her structure around that so that those pathways can become stronger, you know, and become more normalized in what is the appropriate emotional response for this critical thinking situation that's taking place. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, the the word that or the, the phrase that's often attributed to the prefrontal cortex and, you know, uh, uh, just everything that goes through that uh, that normies have is called what it's called executive functioning. Right. And it's kind of it's that's, that's kind of a big term for kids in general. Right. Executive. Right. This is this is my leadership taking over here and therefore because mine is developed in a different way therefore my my ability to be an executive is kind of lost on me but then we also have the conversation about normies and neurodivergent kids um 
who are just kids, right? We have energy when we're young. I've got, I've got a puppy over here who, you know, if I tell her to, to sit and play, you know, she, she, maybe she'll get good at sitting for a moment, but you know, the tail's still going like crazy because, (laughs) because she's still a puppy. And we, we, uh, we, we expect our kids to go from recess and just using all that energy and getting all that excitement out there to say, okay, now go ahead and sit down. And I need you to focus on this homework and stuff like that's a drastic shift for a kid for any kid, again, any kid. And then if you have an ADHD kid who's like, dude, I, I was in the middle of my, you know, X game outside. And now I'm going in and having to sit down when my, my hyper-focus is dedicated to that person outside. And, and this is thrown in front of me. You expect me to do this and stay still and quiet. Like, you know where my mind's at, right? You know what I want to be doing? That's a lot to ask of me. And yeah, some kids with ADHD, they're like, this is it. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to crush it. And then I'm going to move on to my next thing because I can I can master this easily and move on. And then other kids are like, I'm still on that other thing. Um, the hard the hard thing that the, the expectations that we put on our kids sometimes are unrealistic, then, right? Because we are dealing with kids. We are dealing with amazing humans that are saying, I know me. I know what I want to do. And now you're asking me to do something else. And then if you question what I want to do, I can't tell you because I'm still learning how to how to put all these words together to explain it to your adult brain. It's just a lot to ask of our kids. And, you know, I'm not saying anything against the education system at all right now, because I I have a son who's in a, a school that seems to very much have a lot of a lot of the stuff figured out. But it is tough. It is tough. And I know teachers know this, too. It's really tough to just kind of transition from one situation to another. Yes, we want our kids to learn and we want them to develop their interests and stuff. But also developing those interests does not look like the same, you know, learning environment from one kid to the next. It can definitely look more complex or simple, depending on who you're talking to. And I just want to honor those kids out there who say, you know, what, I don't have an interest in this. I want to do this. And their disruption, the disruptors out there, they're not doing something that's strange. They're doing something that's exactly what their brain's telling them. Like, you figured this out. You've figured out what you want to do. And you're, you're, I'm reminding you, your, your brain is telling you, go with it, man. And it's tough for these poor kids because I felt afraid when I was young. When I, when I was recognizing certain things I wanted to do, my... <laughs> My homework for the things I didn't want to do, I could get it done, but that's not what I wanted to get done. So sometimes I'd be doing something and then I'd turn to my paper and I'd do my doodles because I love art. Dude, I'm in web design and I self-taught that after doing a a long history of education and something else that was also fun. But I realized, hey, my calling's still here. Back in the day, somebody would say that's a problem. My my brilliance that is ingrained in my head is somehow a problem. Well, I turned that into something that was a success. So even though it was a hard road and it didn't go exactly the way, you know, the the teachers might have wanted it to go for me. Hey, man, I still made it happen for me. And you kids out there who are, you know, working through your ADHD or you parents of those kids like praise that praise that they they thirst for that every day. And you are the person to give them that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that transition of tax, tasks is difficult, like you say, for, for any kid, you know, but I, I had a humbling realization as I was doing <laughs> my evaluation <laughs> and how that affects the uh, ADHD brain, man. I'll tell you. Mm. 
you know, I, I went in for this. It's it's a series of uh, uh, five meetings that I've got to go for. Um, you know, the first two were evaluations, and they and they told me uh, prepare for three hours of of testing each day. It's like Jesus, is that the test to see like if you're willing to come in for a three hour test? Because no ADHD person is going to sit in a room for three hours of testing. What uh, after, you know? after the after the third visit? <laughs> You, you don't show up to the next one, but then you show up to the one after that, and they're like, "Colton, you passed. You didn't show up last yeah, time. Perfect." <laughs> you know exactly. You know, and I mean, going into the the first day of this was like, I mean, that's just what kept rolling through my brain. Right? Was like, it, is this the test to see how long I can last in here? You know, because it was just uh, the first test that I went into was um, twenty minutes long, right? And it was just one action for twenty minutes, JJ. You just had to hit the space bar. That's all you had to do for 20 minutes. It just goes. Hey, man, that's minutes. that sounds that sounds like heaven compared to filling in one of five bubbles 900 times in a row. <laughs> well, the, the, the space bar test was hit the space bar anytime. It's just a blank screen in front of you and letters just flash real quick. And you're supposed to hit the space bar every time a letter flashes, except for the letter X. <laughs> it sounds simple, right? You're just boom, A, B, C, D, you know, just going through it, man. You know, but you get locked into that rhythm in your mind. You know, you see all those letters, letter, pop up, space bar, letter, space bar, letter, space bar. Easy, you know, but then you just get into that and, you know, five minutes go by, 20 minutes go by, your mind drifts, JJ, and thinking about all the laundry I need to do and the conversations I need to have and the con the talks that we're going to have later, what the next podcast is going to be. And I'm just hitting the space bar, man. And I don't even know what letters popping up. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's funny, buddy, in that moment where you told me that, uh, that, everything but x you know my mind was like boom oh wait x x x marks the spot x marks the spot why is it x why is it x what does it mean <laughs> you know and i don't think that i hit that space bar or i think i hit the space bar for the x every time i was not supposed to jj i just could not get my brain to function in that way you know after you'd hit it 300 times for every other letter and then they'd hit you with a series of x's trying to trick you and i would hit it every time you know they'd hit mm. five x's in my screen and i'd just why am i doing this when they would switch it you know i would do great in the x test every time every letter uh, every time i'd have to hit the space bar for a letter except yep. x i was doing great until 10 15 minutes into that you know, and then, mm -hmm. like I said, your mind would drift and I'd be in this room going, what the hell am I supposed to be doing in here again? What the hell mm. is the point of this? You know, and my, I would just go down and then then they would switch that to where I would have to hit the space bar for the X every time. And then the first five minutes of that was where I had a hard time with it. Mm. You know, it was, mm -hmm. oh, no, 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 you're not supposed to be hitting the X. You're supposed to be hitting the X now, you know, and it took five minutes of, OK, now I've transitioned into this. I understand the rhythm. But then five yeah, but minutes after that, your brain would drift into that sea again. And you'd be, what am I supposed to be doing here? Is it every time I see the X or every time I see the other letters? What am I supposed to be hitting? And then <laughs> you just forget what the whole test is, you know? Yeah, that so that's got me curious, and I'm I'm excited to hear uh, as you go through the rest of this process what what the outcome is, what the conversation with you would be, because then my mind went to yeah, I'm wondering if they're going to switch it on them, 
where he's only supposed to hit the X. And then my mind said, okay, if I were to try and be a doctor, which I'm not, by the way, everybody, I'm not a doctor. Um, I'm introducing variation and variation causes some form of anxious response in the most human beings. And some can create or can take in more amount of variation and still roll with it and still make some sort of performance at a certain level. And others might do performance at a distracted level. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're doing anything wrong, but it does give me an indication of how they process that stimuli. So because I don't know where this is going, I'm on the edge of my seat or I'm standing right now. I'm on the edge of my balance board. I'm excited to hear where this goes because yeah, to me, I'm like, ah, I see it. And I, yeah, I love the way you put it. Like they're trying to trick me. That's exactly what they were trying to do is trick you so they can measure you because we're all lab rats, but we're doing it for the better, <laughs> for our better good. And uh, man, that's, that's funny, buddy. I, I bet, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like I want to be the fly on the wall being like, you got this, you got this and always losing focus. I bet I'd lose focus right now. I wonder what we have at home in the freezer. I, I, I got to think about dinner. <laughs> You know, it was just, uh, again, very humbling experience. I, I go in there and I'm doing these testing for hours and I'm surrounded by all these little kids, fourth and fifth graders, man. There's not one adult in this office testing with me. I'm lined up on these little school computers desks. You know, I felt like I was in a middle school classroom and all the chairs were two sizes too small. And I had to like really crouch down like I was taking a poop to sit at these chairs. <laughs> it, it was the opposite. You know, it was it was adult size computer chairs and these little kids were just like getting swallowed by them. They were so small in these computer <laughs> chairs. But to, in my mind, it felt like I was the one that was outsized here. You know, that I was sitting in these little middle school desks and trying to like, like Billy Madison, you know, it was, <laughs> it was like, wow, like where, where are the adults? <laughs> Oh man, and, and I, I have something that I want to just kind of add to that. I, I could wait till the end of the show, but it's it's on my mind right now, and I want to say this much: like the benefit of the research now. Uh, what I want to say is that it's pretty amazing that you can go in there and be tested for something like this, regardless of your age, so that uh, we can yeah. best serve ourselves. Like, man, these kids are getting served. You're you're helping yourself, uh, and you're 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 going in and, and making a proactive effort at this age. It's never a wrong decision. Like that's remarkable. Hey, I'm going in to uncover the deep treasures within my brain. This is this is a remarkable gift that you do not have to. When you're older, you do not have to feel shame. Instead, you could feel empowered by the fact that you can go in and try and figure out some more things about yourself and what makes you that special of a human being. So, dude, I just want to commend you like for going in there, sitting you know, near these kids, putting these tests in so you can you can show up for yourself even greater tomorrow. That's that's awesome, man. Congratulations. We were, we were all on the same plane, JJ. No one was better or had more experience than the other. You know, I, those kids probably did better on that space bar test than I did. They got a higher score. <laughs> you know? But uh, yeah, it was just, it was an interesting um, experience. You know, they had all sorts of tests from, you know, the, the, the letter test there to words would pop up on the screen and you'd have to remember they would, they'd give you like 15 words would flash and then you'd have to remember those 15 words. And then they would just, then they would flash like a hundred words at you and you had to hit mm -hmm. the space bar. Anytime one of those 15 words shopped, up. I was like, man, I could not remember past three. It was, it was crazy. You know, I was diagnosing myself taking these tests. Like, 
yep, mm -hmm, I I see what they're trying to find out, and I failed, you know? <laughs> and they did a lot of those transition tests where a word would pop up on the screen, and it was, okay, anytime the word is a color, you need to hit the space bar. And then they would switch it to anytime the word is the color of that color, you need to hit the space <laughs> bar. Anytime the word of a color is a different color, you would need to hit the space bar. Again, so, you know, and those tests would last 15 minutes. So you're just doing this for 45 minutes, JJ, just in this room, just looking at color words, hitting the space bar, you know, like it was torturous, man. But, you know, the, the, the next part of the um, uh, process is I, I, I've done that twice now with these computer tests and these questionnaires about, you know, and the questionnaires where, you know, those those bubble tests that you're talking about, too. Are you more likely <laughs> to do this, less likely? I strongly yeah. agree that I have a hard time concentrating in class or I don't or, you know, it was just repetitive, repetitive tests. And, you know, after I've done two days of that, I my next three appointments are to actually go meet with with clinicians uh, to do more testing and to go over those results. So um, in a couple of days here, I'll find out what that looks like. Um, but, I, I, you know, I'm just kind of curious in what your process looked like, you know, and, and what that looked like for Cohen and, and what, mm -hmm. you know, um, what the differences were. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I remember you actually, Colton, you sent me a, like a kind of like a, a picture of, an assessment survey, more or less, you know, um, distracted in this way. How, how do they handle this situation? And I don't have the questions in front of me. I'm, I could pull you, pull it up for you at some point. I think it's called the ASQ two or something. Um, and, uh, when, when we took, uh, you know, Cohen was experiencing some, some challenges at school and maybe, you know, acting out, uh, being unable to focus, maybe having some issues, uh, with, uh, other kids in his class, whatever it might look like. We knew that we needed to try and help serve him um, and uh, help help us and him better understand who he is. And so we went to the psychiatrist uh, in town at the time. We, we lived in uh, Columbia, Missouri, and now we live in Salt Lake City. <clears throat> and we, we had an initial evaluation essentially with this, with this uh, psychiatrist, and it lasted not, not an hour and a half, somewhere shy of that. And it was essentially, let's talk to each other. Let's, let's learn about your life uh, and what, what home life looks like. Um, and then, you know, he'd ask some questions kind of related to the, 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 the possibility of what might be going on with Cohen. And we had some thoughts as, you know, maybe ADHD is a, of concern here. And um, so, so we went in not, you know, just like fully blind and wondering what's going on. Um, but yeah, he asked us questions. And I think I mentioned this on his previous podcast too, is he asked uh, us, you know, his parents, what, what we do for a living. And I shared that I'm a, I'm a web designer, web developer, and, and, uh, and then kind of gave a little bit of background on myself and talked about my childhood a little bit and mentioned the bullying and stuff as well. And then he moved on to the next thing. And then he came back to, you know, circled back to me not too long into the uh, conversation after that and said, a lot of people in my field uh, are diagnosed with ADHD. And, and, you know, my, my internal response was like, I think he's, I think he's trying to diagnose me right now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so. Uh, it, so two well, for one, especially. I knew it could get you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, 
So I, I want to preface this before I get into my my feelings on it, right? My thoughts and my feelings are some are are apart from what I'm about to say now. We had a like I said, we had a a feeling that something was going on in Cohen and it could be ADHD, whether it was the the lack of focus, the interruptions, the inability to maintain eye contact with us. And then, you know, just kind of the overall conversation with him jumping around quite a bit. Uh, none of that was ever a point where I said, my son's a problem, right? None of it ever felt like that. I sometimes get frustrated when go asks me a question and I'm like, well, buddy, so this, and then I get three, three or four words into it and he's interrupted me with something else. I'm like, what dude, <laughs> you asked me a question. Well, you didn't want the answer. But, uh, you know, again, like that's connection. Cohen's just connecting with me. Even if he's not wanting to wait for my response, he knows that I'm, he's, I'm, I'm present with him. Um, so anyways, uh, so I'll go into a little bit, my thoughts and feelings, you know, that when we were there at the, at the psychiatrist's office, office in that initial visit, uh, he had a couple like small toys in his, in his office and Cohen was playing with them. And, and um, he asked Cohen some questions and then Cohen would sometimes answer them. And sometimes he'd, you know, he'd say, he'd say, well, you know, and he'd start talking about something else or talk about a, like a dinosaur fact that he uh, learned. And I, in, in that visit, the psychiatrist said, yeah, I saw Cohen, you know, I noticed Cohen did this. He, he went on and started to talk about something else. And I felt that defensiveness for my child kind of bubble up pretty quickly. And I know my psych that psychiatrist wasn't out to get us and make things difficult for us. Right. But I still was like, you know, my kid's just being a kid here. Right. He's just, he's just acting like a lot of kids. Some kids don't want to answer your questions. Right. He, this is a stranger to my kid. Why do I have to all of a sudden be listening to this person and be answering every question he has to give me? But again, like I said, going in, I had, I had some sort of, you know, um, idea that we're going in because Cohen has some sort of special uh, situation going on with him. Uh, what became a little bit dip more difficult for me was we got those, you know, questionnaires, um, those assessment surveys. Uh, his mom has one or had one and I took the same yeah, one it home. It is the uh, Nick HQ Vanderbilt assessment. That's what we were talking about, right? NICHQ. Uh, that, uh, that's probably assessment. it. Yeah. yeah, we can, I, we can, we can pull it up. I know it's available to anybody. Um, I can I can also uh, see if I took something different for Cohen, and we can include that in the show notes too. Um, but uh, I took that survey, and uh, his mom took that survey, and then his kindergarten teacher took that survey. And the next visit, uh, we you know we got the survey back from his teacher, and I think actually the the doctor got it directly from the teacher. So we didn't see her answers prior to the uh, to the second visit. Um, and you know, a lot of home life stuff was Cohen's doing great. Cohen's attentive to this, that, you know, it was not an alarming type of, you know, uh, list of responses to the, to the questions. The teacher, on the other hand, it was very much more that Cohen was having an ability to stay focused and he was disruptive and so on and so forth. Right. Um, I don't think that was a total surprise to me because that's a different environment of unpredictable situations and it causes anxiety, so on and so forth, like we talked earlier. Um, but because of that, you know, the, the doctor started quickly, uh, the psychiatrist quickly started talking about medications. And um, as somebody who is a big believer in behavioral approach first, I was having a hard time with that. That hurt. That that's That really hurt a lot because... 
if Cohen, my, my viewpoint at that moment was if Cohen is this way at home and then is this way at school, is it that Cohen is having problems within him or is it because he doesn't get to really practice his powerful way, his skills and his talents and his love for, you know, whatever it is at school. And he's forced in a situation to fall in line. That was that that was and still remains difficult for me. And then the other side of thing, I don't have necessarily an issue with the idea of ADHD medication, but it is tough to think as a parent of somebody you love more than any creature on this, you know, on this earth past, present, future, um, to, to, to suggest, well, now in order for my kiddo to fall in line, I'm going to give him medication. That's hard. Um, because it's basically saying like this environment is supposed to be the successful environment for everybody. And I don't think that's true. And I don't think anybody listening to this believes that this exact school environment applies to all. Um, so then I, I saw myself, you know, feeling conflicted and feeling like I wasn't serving my son and his mom who loves him dearly, who, who, who would do anything for him as well. Um, she would probably give you a similar response. She's, she's had, um, you know, a, a different history than my own. And, and she believes strongly that medication can serve our kids very well. And I don't disagree with her on that either. Um, but I will say like, her history looks a little bit different than mine. And we both had this feeling of what am I not doing? How, uh, you know, essentially feeling guilt. Like I'm not doing enough to advocate for, for my son and her, her view in the, in that moment when, when the medication was brought up, the idea of diagnosis and putting him on a prescription medication, uh, she was, she was okay with it. And, and again, that's great, but she still had that feeling of guilt and what am I, what could I do more for my son? So it's a really hard process and it can, it can really just take you down a few notches in your emotional state. And that's, that's kind of where I was. And I will say, in addition to that, my thought was I have a hard time with taking my son to his second appointment and talking about medication. I would love to have a behavioral approach to this. And now, you know, fast forward to where we are today, Colton. I know I've been chatting for a little bit here. Fast forward to where we are today. He's he's still on the medication. I know medication is sometimes a little sparse out there right now, which is another topic. But um, in addition to that, we are seeking a behavioral therapist here uh, for him, which I mean, have does you noticed anything and that has kind of affected his behavior in a negative way because of the medication, or have you seen him kind of dulled by it, or or any of those things that kind of typically get brought up when when medications in the picture? That's a that's a great question. So I will say this much: he has a, he's he's on Adderall, and um, there's a couple of things that I've noticed from that. You know, it has a certain type of release to it, so it wears off toward the later part of the afternoon for sure. Um, he it's it suppresses appetite. I've had him come home where it, I found out that day that he didn't eat anything. So. How does that affect his day? Oh, it greatly impacts his day. If he hasn't eaten anything, then he gets a tummy ache because he gets hunger pangs and he's more irritable. And so in some ways you could say that's a bad thing. That's not the that's not the goal of a medication like this. Though. The goal of the medication is to help with that focus and help these kids succeed in this environment more or less, you know. Um, so the side effect is is of concern, obviously. 
But I'm yeah, not. I'm not suggesting. Yeah, go ahead. Bud. I, I wonder what the difference in approach is between you know going with Cohen, uh, you know, a six year old to the doctor, and he just says, "Yep, put him on medication," and me, a 35 year old man, where they're like, "You got to do six hours of testing and five clinician visits, and this is going to be over a free four month process." Like, what is the difference? Why? Why did they? Why did they treat? Uh, your kid that way and me through this system, you know, and, and who's advocating for these kids and making sure that they're getting tested in a certain way or, or questioned in a certain way to figure out what the best approach is, rather than just this passive approach of here's medication, don't be my problem. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And it's a question that's in the philosophical realm, too, right? Because we do not have the day to day that somebody else has. And we do, you know, as a 35 year old, you have an opportunity to speak for yourself in so many ways that a child is still trying to figure out I'm, I, I have to be an advocate for my son, because my son just simply doesn't always have the words like I'll even ask him about his day. And he says, you know, I don't know what to say. I had a good day. But that means it's hard for you too to be that advocate, right? I mean, you your six-year-old doesn't have the words that you do. You don't understand what's going on in his head the same way that you understand what's going on in your own and how you convey that message to these doctors, teachers, counselors of what's going on in your head versus what's going on in the head of your six-year-old with limited vocabulary and understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll, I'll go back to a previous episode where I simply said, you know, if you had all your all the resources that you could imagine, to do what you want. Like we're going to Disney world today and we're going to the beach tomorrow. All these things are things I want to do that I'm excited about. I imagine that we wouldn't even have to talk about going to see the doctor and getting medicated and stuff because we're just experiencing all the things we want to do. It's exciting. It's good. It's, it's, it's feeding my soul. Then I got to go to class or, and I got to do all these other things uh, that, that I don't necessarily want to do. Now we're talking about a different environment that isn't always you know, uh, catering to my desires. And that's, that's hard. So then, yes, we go talk, talk about the medication. And, and again, back to, back to, uh, the early days of this w with him going to school and, and, uh, us trying to serve him when we still weren't or we still weren't sure what he needed. Yeah. Medication did, did seem like one of the best routes to get through this. Now, does that mean that's what we want for him? No. If we could, if we could step away from our careers full time and just dedicate, you know, our lives to making his life uh, be the best it can be and help him find his greatest uh, interests in life, man, we would be in a great space. That's just, that isn't the way of the world. So we're working with what we've got. And uh, yeah, I'm going to carry this guilt with me for, <laughs> for a long time. Um, and that's because I just know, but I also know too, I gotta, I gotta give myself grace and say, it's not that I'm not advocating for my son and doing what I can for him. In fact, I am. I'm just, this is, this is my place in the world and this is what I have to, to honor him with. Um, so I'm going to serve him in the ways that I'm capable. And, uh, and if this is, if this is the best route, I don't know. Uh, but this is the route I'm taking right now. Um, so, you know, now we're in this school where they talk about their whole child philosophy. And uh, when I get to go there and teach in his class and he's having a hard time, I see a teacher respond to him, not in a way that's like, Cohen, we need you to sit down. We need you to be quiet. We need you to focus. I see them saying like, hey, buddy, what I love, and you've probably heard this before in our audience, if you haven't heard this before, this is so valuable to our kids, is giving choice to our kids. You know, it might be directed in a certain way to try and get them to do something to, 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 uh, 
to kind of keep some sort of calm and attention focus and stuff. But still, we're giving them that empowerment. We're, we're allowing for choice. So if, if my son is having a hard time focusing, um, his teacher said to me the other day, another kid actually had completely lost focus and had to, had to leave the classroom and go to another classroom, um, where the, the teacher was going to help him focus on in that other space. The Cohen's teacher was seeing that Cohen was having a challenging moment. So she said, Hey, Cohen, could you possibly take this homework up for the other student? So he has that available to him and can work on that if he want to. So she saw Cohen was not going to be able to get through this exercise, was not going to succeed in this moment, but I'm going to give him power here to make a choice. And, and that, that was hit, you know, he, he wanted to cling to me. And in that moment, he's like, Oh, awesome. I get to do this. I'm excited. I get to walk out of the classroom. I get some, you know, freedom to myself, but really still everybody was helped in that moment. Um, so yeah, the power of choice with our kids. And I know I'm kind of going all over the place here. This is just my thoughts and what I've experienced here. Um, if we give our kids choice or, or can really master the art of redirection, our, our ADHD kids will flourish in their day to day. It's just a matter of us trying to understand their world. And it's not always yeah. easy. Yeah. You know, and, and with the medication, it's just, um, I think that that's just such a small portion of it. I think that it, it is an important portion of it. It's not to be completely disregarded. I know people have a lot of back and forth thoughts of no medication at all versus just, you know, whatever, whatever your opinion may be. I, me personally, I feel like there it is an important aspect, but it's a small uh, portion of it. You know, the other 90, 95% of the work is the behavior therapy, the behavior conditioning that we're talking about and, and how we're being present with our kids in these moments. You know, you can't just medicate a kid and just throw them back into the world and expect them to, you know, to operate, you know? Um, and I, it's just such a passive reactionary approach from the professionals that are around our kids you know, with, with, uh, the ADHD and, you know, we, I think, uh, I misquoted a percentage earlier on in our podcast talking about 16% of kids with ADHD. And that's more of a statewide statistic. Some States can range up into the 16%, um, Kentucky and some, some midway Midwest States, uh, where the, the average number for kids being diagnosed with ADHD is more around 10%, um, which is still an increase from, you you know, uh, 80s and 90s statistics of being around 4%, you know, um, so we do have a lot more kids with this diagnosis nowadays that is being talked about. But I would still argue to say that I think that those numbers are bigger than 10%. You know, a lot of uh, uh, parents are our generation of parents and, and, and even uh, our generation with kids are still a little apprehensive because it's, it's uh, used to be so medication focused. Right. In in the 80s and 90s, it was just throw them on some Ritalin, give them some Adderall and throw them back in the classroom. I ain't got time for this, you know, and, and I know um, I know I know somebody who is a teacher and her her daughter is, uh, um, you know, going through the process of being evaluated for ADHD. And because she's a teacher, a lot of her peers and coworkers have kind of started implementing a lot of the behavioral uh, tools that would be in place for her daughter you know, um, with some extra kind of quiet study time and just some refocusing tactics and 
spending a little bit more one-on-one with them, maybe giving them a little bit of extra time to get between classes or finish their work or whatever it is, you know? And um, so to kind of help the kid from kind of spiraling into not getting the help that she needs and, you know, bad grades. Um, and we're, you know, she's at this next stage of, of uh, that evaluation process with the school to see if this kid needs to have these things implemented into the into her daily life and you know if the school is going to pay for the evaluations with the psychiatrist to see if medication is needed and the school is putting up a roadblock now saying no we don't think the kid has ADHD anymore we're not going to pay for those uh, you know um, those next evaluations or for the procedures that need to go on to the classroom because the kid is doing good in school you know and until the kid starts doing bad we're not going to approach it you know and i just think that that's just such a backward way man it's just such an american way of thinking sometimes with you know let's wait until things go wrong before we take action you know the kid's doing good now so we're not gonna concern ourselves with this and you know it's just such a shame man because like we're saying it it takes an an attentive practice to really give these kids what they need here to, to succeed and what what is what is ever the harm in being proactive, right? What is ever, what where is the harm in uh, in you know continuing to foster a better environment for each individual kid? And I I, I have a hard time thinking that there's a good argument, good argument there, um, with uh, with the effort that I had to put into uh, understanding ADHD and my son more. Oh man, it was a gift to me that I could I could dive deeper into the world of empathy. I mean, granted, you know, having a son that's having a child, I think empathy is just is just something that most people um develop to a greater degree um when they have children. But uh when my kiddo had ADHD and was diagnosed and I knew that some some forms of our communication had to kind of shift in some ways, I got to learn um through some reading and just some, you could call it trial and error, I guess, uh, that, uh, again, Cohen, you know, and, and any kid really, uh, craves connection. And, um, if that connection with somebody is, looks like, oh, I'm, you know, they're telling me that I'm out of line and I need to act correct. And I, and, you know, I'm doing this wrong and doing that wrong. Like that's a connection, but it's not a positive one for them. It's still a connection though, right? And if that's what every connection looks like with them, they're gonna they're gonna develop and, and I know there's statistics out there. I'd I'd, I'd probably should uh, get some of the numbers out there um you know for everybody to to look at. But uh I know that uh other forms of mental um health uh can decline as well due to you know, or when you have ADHD. And I don't think that that's an internal thing as much as I think it's external. And again, this is kind of goes to the behavioral approach because if a child or um, a young individual is constantly being noticed for when they're doing something that's quote unquote wrong, um, that's going to, that's going to hit their self-esteem pretty hard. Cohen doesn't want to be a problem. He doesn't want to have difficult relationships. But if that's what we feed our children every single time something doesn't go well and we don't focus on like the moment something's going great or going okay and praising that, then that's what they're going to hear. 
they're going to hear that things are wrong. So yeah, when, when it comes to accommodating somebody, um, when things are going well and really, you know, fostering an environment of success and positivity in those moments, like you're setting everybody else up for greater success now and in the future. But if you choose to take the route of, okay, once something's wrong, I'm going to write the name on the board or I'm going to spank or whatever it is, then you're basically suggesting, and this is my opinion, but I believe there's truth to it. You're basically suggesting in that moment that, uh, that things need to be attended to when there's a, when there's problems and the child, the, the other side of that sees, well, I don't do anything good. I do things bad. And that could be once a week. That could be once a day. That could be once an hour, whatever it is. If that's the regular feedback that they get, that's going to destroy them in some ways. So yes, proactive and in, in, in fostering a positive environment for them now and, and maintaining that even when things are going well is just going to be, that's going to show you success. That's going to show you powerful individuals that were always there. You were going to say something, but well, let's let's look at it this way. You know, I, I heard once that uh, for every negative interaction that we have with the people close to us, whether it be our wife or kids, for, for every negative, uh, unpleasant experience that we have, we need five good ones to make up for it. Right? You know, you, you, you remember that thing that you, you didn't like your spouse to do and, and, you know, but you forget about the, the time that you did the dishes, packed your lunch, wrote you a note, bought, bought, bought you the candy bar that you love or, or whatever it is. You know, we, we so often sweep the good stuff under the rug and focus on the reprimanding of what's wrong, what's bad, what's not in line with, you know, standard practice. And, you know, think about if we just operated like that with our ADHD kids, you know, if all we're giving them is the don't do this and the no's and the stay away from's and how dare you's and how could you and you're not supposed to. God, man, think about the just weight that that's putting on that kid, you know, and, and especially with an ADHD kid in the brain where it it's that guilt and shame and that embarrassment and anxiety that we've been talking about in past episodes shows up ever so more predominantly in our ADHD brains and the way that our neural pathways are configured there. So that that extra no, 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 you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're breaking the rules Man, it's overwhelming for the ADHD kid. So I think what you're saying here and what I'm I'm agreeing to and what I think our superpower is as parents with ADHD kids is that praise aspect. We really got to be vigilant about bringing that praise into the picture and really highlighting what our kids are doing right in the scenario and not always what they're doing wrong. And they I'm sure you've heard the story of like the celebrity who maybe maybe was having a bad day and uh, had a had an encounter with a fan and they could have been more pleasant, you know, and the fans like that, that guy's a jerk. You know, just just that one interaction that they've got. That's that's the that's the that's the real that's the real experience. They know, you know, it it it, it takes so little to, to taint an image and it takes a lot of effort, like you said, to build build up that strength and the positive image after that. And. And, you know, I'll just speak to the obvious here. Everybody knows this. It's common sense. If we can praise instead of, you know, uh, 
point out the issues and, and point out the conflicts and, and where things are going wrong, like everybody's going to be happier. You know, everybody's going to feel that joy. Um, giving power to the positive is, is ultimately what creates a, a, you know, a good relationship and success in a person's life. And I've shared this story before, but when I was praising Cohen at the, uh, that play place one day and uh, just, you know, just really laying it on for everything. I mean, I saw him walking around with the, this glow and then he wanted to share that with somebody else. And yeah, he, he, he makes mistakes and things are, you know, things don't go well sometimes and he gets emotional with the dog and stuff. And I find myself correcting him or trying to say, well, if you do this then this, and, and then basically just kind of giving, giving power to the negative, it doesn't turn our day around very quickly at all. <laughs> but if I choose to choose to look at it and frame it in a positive way, maybe not the bad, you know, the, the poor choices, but um, frame the other choices in a positive way. It, it changes, it changes the whole mood. And um, yeah, I don't understand. I do understand, but I also don't understand why we give power outside, you know, in schools and, you know, inner interactions with others, why we give so much power to when things aren't going the way we want them to go instead of giving power to the things that are actually going swimmingly or just going according to nature's law. Yeah. Well, we've been talking about this whole episode about behavior therapy and, and what, what does that look like? Well, I think we're talking about it right now. I think that this is a really good first step is, you know, how can we build up confidence in our little ones so that we don't have to be the present fortress to monitor, to micromanage, to make sure the homework gets done. You know, with repetition and confidence building, we can give our kids the tools that they need to be confident in themselves and to know that they can handle this with the positive reinforcements of you're doing that great. Keep on that. That was, so, I saw the way that you handled that. I saw how you got through that homework. That was great. Rather than no, you need need to get it done. We need to do this now, you know, because like we're saying, that's not going to build the confidence. That's not going to give them the tools. You know, you're never going to give somebody a toolbox by telling them don't, you know, don't do this and don't do that. And you got to tell them what, what they're good at, what the thing is used for, how it's used and how it can be beneficial to them. That's where our kids are, are going to excel and, and latch on to what we're trying to give them. You know, if we're constantly the, the negative force of you're not doing it right, they're never going to trust us. They're never going to trust themselves. Yeah. And I just want to say this to, you know, everybody out there who cares for somebody with ADHD, uh, whether you're a parent or, you know, a loved one in some fashion, uh, you know, be present. That's, that's the big thing. I really want to just kind of like hammer home here is, uh, be present with them. Um, when I was young, I definitely felt alone at times and, we, we had briefly gotten, you know, me to a, a therapist uh, so I could kind of talk about all the struggles I was experiencing. And I definitely got into some depression uh, as, as the kids were quite cruel to me. Um, and then at home, I don't think that my parents were really comfortable with trying to figure me out or understand why it was that I was struggling. So while I had a therapist to talk about it, I went home and I didn't really have anybody to talk to. And that was hard. What does that mean now when I say be present? Be present means if you need to have, you know, your loved one, your child uh, go to a therapist. I think that's awesome. I think that's so valuable to them. 
and keep that presence at home as well. So be there for them. Let them, let them tell you what they're feeling. Listen to them. Uh, try and understand where they're coming from. Um, so they also have that safety at home and not just, not just feel like they're being shoved off, pushed off to somebody else to deal with, deal with them, you know, really, really give time to them because that will, that will help them realize that they are truly somebody special and, and that what they're going through is okay. What they're feeling is a feeling that makes sense and they should be allowed to have that feeling. And, uh, it's hard sometimes when we can't see exactly the, the world in the same way they do. But if we can give that presence and give that, you know, just that, that, you know, amount of time to them to, to really let them let it out, that will, that will serve them very well. Sage words from a wise man. Hope you guys were listening to that. That was good stuff, man. That was good. That was gold. JJ. Uh, thank you so much for sitting and talking with me today about this. And, um, you know, uh, we didn't even scratch the surface yet. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have, uh, many more episodes as, as we dive deeper into this, but I just really appreciate the conversations here and, and letting not only me, but our listeners in on the process. Um, I think this was really good stuff. And, for those of you listening, don't worry. We'll have all the information that we talked about here in the show notes. Um, I'll put that Vanderbilt survey up there for you and a link to that Disruptors uh, documentary that we talked about. Um, but please uh, make sure to like, subscribe, continue listening, and thank you guys so much for, for your time. I, I know that uh, dedicating an hour out of your week to listen to us blabber about all this uh, may be or may not be beneficial to you, but um, I hope that it <laughs> is, and, and we appreciate you guys' support. So thank you, and until next time, I'm CJ. I'm JJ. And we nailed it again. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, guys.